Well, again, let me thank you for being here this morning. And uh, today's service is going to be a little bit different uh, than maybe our services. And if you're visiting with us, we want you to know that. Um, we're going to try to do a lot of things in this next hour and 15 minutes. And uh, one of those things is sort of to share with you some questions that you had for us. Over the last month, we've put on the back of our bulletin uh, a little statement. If you have a question that you'd like us to answer as leadership, uh, we wanted you to turn in a question. We had eight questions turned in. Out of those eight questions, three of them had to do with the renovation campaign. And uh, so in a few minutes, BJ will be sharing with you about that. But uh, those eight questions that came in, we feel are... Uh, important for us to answer. Now, let me just say to you this. You can come and you can ask Pastor John, myself, Dr. Sheard, any of our elders, any of our deacons questions anytime you want. Uh, and we'll, we'll answer those questions. That doesn't mean we'll always give you the answers you want to hear, but we're going to answer the questions as honestly and as openly as we can. Um, before we do that, though, I do want to recognize the Rosenbergs, our missionaries who are with us. Raise your hands. It's always good to have them visiting with us from Georgia, and uh, we appreciate them. Every time they're up here visiting their daughter, Stacy. they make a point to come and to be in our services. So we really appreciate the Rosenbergs and uh, their ministry and publishing. And uh, so thank you for being with us. Thank you for the privilege that we have to come alongside you and reach people around the world with the gospel of Christ. And we appreciate your ministry, and it's always good to have you here. So we just wanted to recognize them. wanted to uh, share with you, each of the men are going to come. There's uh, myself, and then the four men are going to come, and uh, they'll share with you the question. We're taping this. People have asked us to tape this who couldn't be here. And uh, they'll tell you the question, and then we'll give you the answer. So here was the, the, the question that I'm going to answer. I tried to get Pastor John to do this. But uh, where does the church stand on the five points of Calvinism, which and why don't we agree with? So uh, that was the question that was given, and some of you are sitting there thinking, what are the five points of Calvinism? First of all, let me say this to you, that our church does not, you will not find in our doctrinal statement, the doctrinal statement, the five points of Calvinism. You don't find that statement. These are the five points of Calvinism. And you don't find that statement. But let me give you the five points. Um, the first is total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. And uh, let me tell you that we've covered all of those as we've gone through the book of Romans. We believe in preaching the whole counsel of God. As we come across something, we're going to preach it. We might not tell you this is one of the five points of Calvinism when we preach that particular doctrine, but we've preached all of those from time to time. Now, where do we stand on those? Um, first of all, let me tell you, this has been something that's been debated down through the ages. Um, even if you took a poll of all of our elders, we're probably not going to agree 100% on all of these, and especially on the one that I'll tell you uh, it, when, when I'll tell you. First of all, total depravity. We've preached that in the book of Romans simply says that uh, man is totally depraved. There is nothing inside of us that's good at all. And we believe that. We've preached it through the book of Romans. We know the Bible says the heart is desperately what? It is wicked. It is wicked. Even after salvation, our heart is still wicked. Christ, the righteousness is wrapped around us. So we certainly have preached total depravity. Unconditional election. Um, this basically says God does not base his election on anything he sees in individuals. As we've gone through the book of Romans, we've certainly pre preached about election. And uh, he chooses the elect according to the kind and intention of his will. And, of course, this is hotly debated down through the ages. And that, uh, you know, some say, well, you know, I'm Arminian. I believe that God elects based on looking down through time. He sees who's going to make that decision. 
the one thing about Calvinism, it's based on the sovereignty of God. That God is a total sovereign God, and he can choose and he can do what he wants to do. That's the reality of it. And so really we're debating the sovereignty of God. But uh, we, as we went through the book of Romans, we preached on unconditional election. This is probably the one that uh, is, is the most controversial. It's limited atonement. Limited atonement says Jesus died only for the elect. Though Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient for all, it was officious for, uh, for all. Jesus only bore the sins of the elect. And the support for that is found several places in the Bible, one of those being in John chapter 11, where it says Jesus died for the sheep, but not for the goats. So that's probably the most controversial of these is a limited atonement, is that when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die for the sins of the world, he only died for the elect. And uh, that's probably the most controversial. And I'm going to tell you right now, we could take a vote in here, and you would probably be split on that. And then some of you would say, I'm not even sure what I believe about that. Um, That's one that we've preached. Irresistible grace, when God calls his elect into salvation, they cannot resist. God offers to all people the gospel message. Uh, That's called the external call. But to the elect, God extends an internal call. And that call cannot be um, resisted. When God calls to salvation, we can't resist that. And, and, and if God's chosen us and he calls us, there's no way that you can resist the call of God. If you say, I can resist the call of God, basically you're saying, I am stronger than God is. I am stronger than God's sovereignty. And the last one is the perseverance of the saints. Basically, You cannot lose your salvation. As John and I have preached through the book of Romans, we've talked about the perseverance of the saints. We've talked about Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that says, Therefore there is what? Now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Once you're in Christ Jesus, once you've accepted him as your personal Savior, you cannot lose your salvation. You will persevere because salvation didn't have anything to do with you. It had what God did in your life, how he drew you to himself. Salvation is about, isn't about you holding on to God. It's about God holding on to you. And you can't resist it, and you can't lose it once you're saved. And that's what uh, the perseverance of the saints. So, again, as we come across those different doctrines in God's word, we preach them, and we've preached them in the book of Romans. Um, we do not take a stand in our doctrinal statement about the five points of Calvinism, but we do preach the whole counsel of God as, they, as we come across it. We have preached each of those, though. All right, good morning. Um, the, second, the, other, the second question uh, that came, came in, there were three that had to do with the renovation campaign uh, and the, uh, the fund, fundraising campaign. One was, can we have an update on the capital campaign? Uh, one was, what is the plan for the capital campaign funds? And the third question is, what are the next steps, and will there be a vote to decide what to do? Um, so those, we group those into a single, a single answer for you. So if we'll uh, bring up on the slides here, um, next slide, there we go. Phase one of our capital campaign was to uh, raise the funds required to eliminate debt. Uh, and that was phase one. And so at the time the campaign uh, began, we were $110,000 in debt. Uh, and so we paid that off uh, in August of 2013. Phase two uh, the, was to set up a stewardship fund or a, maybe a, a capital operating fund um, that would allow us to have Uh, cash in hand to be able to fund uh, the ebb and flow of largely uh, the Christian school and salaries which come. There's a lot of people uh, that work for the school and rely um, on salaries have to be paid regardless of the the ups and downs of giving. And so we set up a capital expense so that we can basically have that fund, uh, use it where if we fall short, 
and then basically replace it and put it back. And so that was phase two. Uh, phase three, and consequently, we did vote on all these phases. Um, we presented uh, when the campaign was at its inception. We presented and voted on all three of these phases. Phase, and, and, um, phase three uh, was to take whatever funds were left uh, from the capital ex- capital funding and use them toward renovation. Uh, And so we uh, employed an architect, Cornerstone Architects. They were the firm that designed our family life center uh, across the parking lot here about almost 20 years ago now. Uh, And so we called Dale Yoder, uh, the president of that firm, and asked uh, if they could get involved again with us uh, to help us look ahead to plan. And so they put together a budget, a preliminary budget, based on... um, previous projects that they have worked on in the past uh, and some basic accepted industry figures for renovation costs. Uh, And they have um, determined that our costs to be what would be about $870,000. And we'll go through the slides uh, that show the floor plans again that they developed for us. But go to the next slide and we'll just go through some of the major line items that Cornerstone Architects provided for us. And as you can see, doors and windows, paint, tile, carpet, um, ceilings, new plumbing, lighting, demolition. In order to replace it, you have to tear it out. You have to pay someone to do that. Um, uh, general contractor fees, um, permitting and whatnot, design fees. And so there, there's how the numbers kind of stack up to about $870,000. Now, um, a hot button for you, I'm sure, as many will be this line item for audio, video, multimedia. They have a, a line item in there for us to carry at $250,000. I can't believe we would need that kind of money. To, um, to upgrade sound systems and have audio video and some other things. But um, believe it or not, we're told that a room this size, some folks spend up to a million dollars on audio video. Um, so not wanting to be um, foolish and not plan enough. Um, so we've, we've kind of landed on a, a line item. Um, so anyway, so don't so don't talk, don't take that away from here and say they're going to spend two hundred fifty thousand dollars on sound. We we don't we just don't know, uh, and you really can't um, you really can't get someone to tell you exactly what you need unless you pay them for some consulting fees and come and do analysis of your 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 room. And so anyway, um, so for now it's a line item to carry. So that's uh, basically what it looks like. Next slide. These are uh, the floor plans that were developed um, by Cornerstone Architects uh, when we, we decided we wanted to freshen up the auditorium and make it, um, bring it up to uh, a current look. Uh, next slide. Uh, so different views of what, uh, what it might look like when it's uh, finished. Uh, next slide. Um, next slide. All right. Next slide. So um, just to recap, $630,000 were pledged uh, by the members and attendees at Mount Calvary. Uh, Phase one, we paid off $110,000. Phase one, phase two, uh, we put away $250,000 in our, uh, what we're calling stewardship fund. And as of at the close of the year, uh, $143 um, had come in uh, for phase three. Uh, The outstanding pledge is $130,000. Uh, and still needed to raise as compared to the $870,000 uh, renovation costs as suggested by Cornerstone Architects uh, would be $567,000. Good morning. Um, I don't have a slide presentation, I'm sorry. Um, the question that I received, find it here, the question I received was this. After we changed Awana to Sunday instead of Wednesday, our prayer meeting has dwindled to almost a handful of people. Are there any plans to do something about this? And isn't prayer the lifeline of the church? So first I would say yes, prayer is the lifeline of the church. I would also say prayer is the lifeline of every single believer sitting here this morning. Um, Jesus, in his earthly ministry, committed himself to pray. Um, He retired many times and and stepped away from ministry, stepped away from the disciples and the people to pray. If Jesus, the Son of God, needed to pray, don't we? We're told in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 that we are to pray without ceasing. And uh, without question, one of the tenets of spiritual growth, both individually for believers and corporately as a body of believers, is prayer. 
along with daily Bible study. So yes, uh, prayer is definitely a major focus and a major lifeline of the church. Now, we believe here at Mount Calvary that life groups are an essential ministry at Mount Calvary Church, and just a few reasons why. Um, First, life groups are how we connect as believers. Um, We develop meaningful relationships through our life group ministries, and that's how we do life together. Um, Also, it's an opportunity for fellowship and encouragement. It's not just getting together and eating and how was your day and how was your life and going this week and, you know, surfacey things. But that's an opportunity for us to really dig in and encourage one another as believers. If somebody's going through a tough time, the life group should be the first, um, the first people to, uh, to kind of jump in and, and, and help those folks out. It's also an opportunity for accountability. Um, we can't do life alone. And um, there's a, a phrase that says life... Life happens better in circles than it does in rows, and that's kind of the, the premise behind life group, that if we're sitting in a circle, shoulder to shoulder, looking at each other, that's a better way to do life than sitting in rows, looking at the back of the head of the person in front of you. Um, life group also, uh, Bible study is an important part of life group. Now, for life groups like mine, where we've got about 700 kids running around, sometimes Bible study is a challenge. Uh, but it is a very, very important part of life group, and what we do is we discuss Uh, some of the things that are going on in the ministry, some of the things that are going on in our lives. And prayer, prayer is a very important part of life group. So um, if you're not plugged into a life group, um, where's Ray? I'll give a little commercial for Ray. Uh, (laughs) If you're not plugged into a life group, now's a great time to jump in. Um, It is a vital part of our ministry. Right now we have about 275 or so people that are um, committed or assigned to a life group, and our regular attendance is about 200. That's just over 50% of our regular um, attendees that are involved in life group. So there's still a lot of room for growth for that life group ministry. So if you're interested in that, you can contact Ray or contact the church office. So prayer and life group. Um, prayer and life group looks a little bit differently than prayer at prayer meeting. Uh, prayer and life group is typically more intimate. It's more personal as you get to know other people. You're praying for things that are specifically going on in people's lives. And in life groups, we should be praying for the ministry here at Mount Calvary. We should be praying for our pastors and our leadership and their families. We should be praying for the Christian school, and we should be praying um, for the health of the ministry overall. Um, But it should also go further than that, and we should get into some of those more personal requests And uh, we have more people praying together in life groups now than we have in our Wednesday night prayer meeting in quite a few years. So that's an encouraging thing. So um, that would be be the approach. The elders would certainly affirm that prayer is an important part. And uh, we have identified life groups um, as an effective way to, uh, to continue praying together as a ministry. Good morning. Uh, I had a question. Uh, It's kind of a three-part question. I'll just kind of do one part um, at a time. The first part of the question was, what are the main goals of the church? And one of the real benefits that we've seen uh, over the last year is we've gone from a single board government to now having elders and deacons, if um, maybe you're not familiar, that we did that about a year ago now. And it's been a real blessing because one of the things that we've really been able to dive into as a, uh, a group of elders is to really discuss the ins and outs of, of our church and the positives, the negatives, what do we do well, what don't we do well, and really try to uh, figure out what God wants us uh, to be doing. So um, we have been prayerfully considering over the last year, what does God have for us? What is the direction uh, that we are uh, where we are going. And it's been a slow process, at times even frustrating, because we, we all want to just jump in and, and know what God wants to do, and it's been a process that we've been working through. Um, and kind of where we're at in that process is we've really been looking at the, ch- uh, the book of Acts and looking at the church and what does God say about the, the fellowship of the believers. And so just one thing I want to point out from Acts chapter 2, uh, talking about the fellowship of the believers, is it says that the, uh, the, the gathering of the believers was for a couple different things. One, be biblical teaching. Two would be fellowship and ministry. Three would be worship, uh, which includes communion and prayer. And four would be uh, evangelism. And so ultimately, we want to see those types of things happening uh, in our church. And we are uh, continuing to look for what does God have for us, specifically for Mount Calvary Church, that he wants to do. Uh, wants to do here. We do feel like God has told us already that he wants us as elders to be very passionate about our relationships with Christ, and as we do that, that we can overflow um, 
to our, our congregation. And ultimately, I think you could ask any one of us, our ultimate goal is we want to see the maximum glory that God can possibly get coming from this ministry. And um, we are still in the process of developing what does that look like for our church, uh, but that's our ultimate uh, hope and our, and our prayer. Um, we are hoping to be able to roll out some sort of this new direction or this, this idea of what, where we're trying to go, what is God showing us uh, towards in the fall of uh, this coming year. Um, the second part of the question was, how are we trying to meet those goals? Well, to meet the goals, we need to know where we're headed first, right? So uh, we're really focused on part one of this question right now as elders, and so it's a little bit difficult to answer this, um, and we want to be careful that we're not trying to fit our ministry into what God wants, but rather we want to start with what God wants and figure out how do we fit into God's plan. And so we're really spending a lot of time trying to figure out um, what God wants to do specifically here, and then we can really kind of address how we actually go about um, meeting those things. Um, and the last part of the question was, does our budget reflect this? And so again, I could start by saying we still need to figure out where exactly uh, God has us going. But I, do, I would say that as I looked at the budget this week, Every single thing that, uh, every line item in our budget can fit into one of those kind of four areas from Acts chapter 2, biblical teaching, fellowship or ministry, worship or evangelism. And maybe you're thinking, how does turning on electricity fit into that? Well, the only way we're going to be here is if we have, you know, the, uh, the electricity running that provides the opportunity for us to uh, spend time together worshiping and in biblical teaching. Um, so we feel as though all of those things in our budget do reflect um, what, uh, what God wants for us. And I, I just kind of the last thing I would say is we as um, elders and deacons, we covet the prayers of our people. And so as we are developing and we're trying to figure out what God has for us as a church, um, I would beg you and ask that you would commit yourselves to praying for us as we do that. Um, it's a, uh, a privilege to actually try to walk through this process. And we ask that you would just uphold us in prayer uh, as we continue to to work towards what God has for our church. Uh, good morning. I'm Denny Greist. I'm the uh, church treasurer, and I've been charged with the following question. Uh, what have we used the money from the missionary home for? Uh, we had sold the missionary house uh, off uh, up by the uh, conference grounds, uh, and we had raised approximately $142,000. Uh, through that sale of that property. The items that we have utilized those funds for currently consist of about $1,400 that we used in preparing the house for sale. There were certain cosmetic things that needed to be performed in order for the house to be uh, more attractive for sale. Uh, so that's a, a portion of it. A uh, little over $27,000 was used here. There was a moisture problem in a couple locations within uh, the church, primarily in the nursery wing. Uh, we uh, have fixed and renovated and done some work there to alleviate that moisture problem. Uh, just a shy of $61,000 was used for the chiller, which is the nice piece of equipment that sits outside of our church uh, that uh, keeps us warm and cool. Uh, but that was a, just shy of 61000 Also, we purchased a relatively new used van, uh, low mileage for approximately $24,000 uh, this past year. And the other item is uh, the sign that is across the street uh, that we've put up uh, was approximately $13,600 uh, for the sign and all of the work-related and permits-related uh, to placing that sign. Um, that equates to approximately $127,700 that has been paid out. In addition, at the time of the sale of the missionary house and the start of the capital campaign and all of that, there was approximately $17,000. Some of it had been designated for the chiller uh, that was in the uh, uh, building fund uh, here for the, the church. Uh, those monies were moved into uh, this particular account and this particular fund. So all of that to say, as of the end of the year, approximately, I haven't finished December numbers yet, uh, but approximately $32,500 remains of those funds uh, that have not been utilized by uh, the ministry here. Uh, so that was my question, and I think that 
answers all of the questions that have been submitted. Thank you. There was one, one thing that I forgot to answer that left uh, remained unanswered, um, and I was thinking of it just now. Well, the one question was, will we vote on how to spend the renovation funds? And the answer is yes. Uh, when we voted on phase one and two, uh, those are secure. Phase three, uh, we voted that we would use them for renovation funds, but we would come back to you and talk about how they would be spent. So um, once the renovation campaign or the capital campaign is done, and all the funds have been collected, the deacons will take that and review it against what's been planned, and then they'll recommend to the elders what we're going, what needs to be done or should be done, and you'll, you'll hear about it again. Uh, and so I just, I wanted to, because that was key, so I wanted you to, to know that, okay? Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23 this morning. And uh, while you're turning your Bibles there, I want you to watch this little video clip about the church. We are the church. And I've simply entitled this message this morning, The Church Triumphant. And uh, at the very end of this message, I'm going to read to you a song that has meant a lot to me. And uh, it's by Bill Gaither. It was written back in 1974. And I've listened to that song hundreds of times. It's called The Church Triumphant triumphant. And I love the text of that song. And we'll read it at the end. But when I think about the church, the church is what God loves. The church is made up of people. The church isn't this building. We find the word church, ecclesia, in the Bible 112 different times. When we think about that, it's never used as a physical structure. We, we call this a church, but let me tell you, during the week, it might not, it's not really the church. The church is you and me. It is the church on Sunday mornings. It's the church on Wednesday nights when we gather to pray here. <clears throat> it's not the church unless we're here. This is just a building. The church is you and me. We are the church. When we talk about ecclesia in the Bible, it's never used as a physical structure. It's never used as a national church. It's never used as a denomination. It's never used as the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. It's separate from that. The church, the church triumphant. So when we find this word church in the Bible, it has really two different meanings. It does mean a body of believers. The word ecclesia means a called out assembly. That's what it means when we read it, a called out assembly. So certainly we are calling out for us to assemble together here on a Sunday morning for the purpose of worshiping our Lord and Savior. And so we are the church that called out. It's a body of local believers that have called out. And this morning, when we think about it, Mount Calvary certainly is a local church. There are many local churches that are meeting today. Hershey E. Free and Hershey is meeting today. When we think about, I think of the big church, Calvary Church and LCBC right down the road. I think of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, a great church that's reaching people with the gospel of Christ. I think of Central Manor Church of God. And uh, what a great church that is there in Washington Borough that's meeting. I think of the Jerusalem Assembly uh, of House of Redemption. You say, what church is that? Jerusalem Assembly, House of Redemption. That's the church that we support. That's the church that will meet today in the city of Jerusalem where Minnow Kalisher is the pastor. And we support that work there. And, and we're helping to reach people through the gospel of Christ right there in Israel. I think of our newest missionary, Brother Christodos, who has, what, 60 different churches. That when we took him on, there are 60 different churches that that man has started there in India. And we have the privilege of coming alongside and meeting and, and in helping to support those 60 local churches. Some that meet in buildings, some that meet under trees. But they're still a local assembly. Those are local churches. Thousands and thousands of churches like that will meet today all over the world. 
They'll look different. We'll dress different. Some will be very formal. Some will be very casual. Some music will be music that you don't like. Some music will be different than we have here. And they're all still the church of God as long as they're preaching what? Salvation by grace. And they're standing on the doctrines of God's word. That's the local church. And certainly in the Bible, there is also what we call the universal church. When Jesus comes back to this world, he's not just coming back for Mount Calvary Church. He's coming back for all of those churches I've mentioned. He's coming back for all of those who know Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. He's going to call us up. That's the calling of the church, the assembly together in heaven. What a great time that will be. From every nationality and every stripe, we will gather together in heaven in a sense of unity and oneness. That's the church. We often see that in the Bible. It's talked about the body. Here are some different things when we talk about the universal church. It's used, this language is used in the Bible. It's called the body of Christ. He is what? He is the head of the church. I'm not the head. Pastor John's not the head. Our elders aren't the head. Listen, Jesus is the head of his church. And he is the, we are the body. We're his hands and feet. It's called the bride of Christ. Christ loves his church. He loves it. It is his bride. Christ loves his church. He died for his bride. That's you and me. We are the bride of Christ. Someday he's coming back for us, and there'll be a great wedding feast in heaven, a great time where we'll unite with our groom in heaven. But we are the bride. Talks about the building. We just sang the song, Christ is what? The cornerstone. He's the cornerstone of his church, the church, the building that's called the branches. That talks about our relationship with Christ. Just like there are local relationships, we have a relationship with Christ as the branches. It's called the priesthood of the believers. And that talks about how we have access with God. We're talked about as his flock. He is the great shepherd of his flock. Those are talking about, again, the universal church. But there's a great statement. I love the book of Ephesians because it talks a lot about the church. And there are two really phenomenal statements that we read over and we don't think about them a whole lot. And this morning we're going to look at one just for a few moments. And I preached actually the other one some time ago. Let me remind you about the other one first. So look in in Ephesians chapter 3, if you would. And look, if you would, at verse 10. This is a phenomenal statement about the church. His intent was that now through the church, this is God's intent. You want to know what the purpose of the church is? You don't want to know why the church exists? Right here it is in Ephesians. Let me tell you. He said it's his intent that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authority in heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my suffering for you, which are, is your, which are your glory. Back up there to verse 11. His intent, his purpose was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. We talked about this almost two years ago, or maybe a year ago, when we talked about the purpose of the church. You know what it is? When it talks about those in heavenly places, that's talking about the rulers in heavenly places. That's talking about the demons of hell, those that are ruling over this earth right now, that when they look down and they see us meeting as a church, that they understand the glory of God. We exist as a church to show the glory of God to all those not only in this world, as we'll see in Ephesians 1 in a moment, but even to those who exist all around us. So when somebody comes to know Jesus Christ as their Savior through one of our ministries, through one of our missionaries, listen to me this morning, that 
shows those who say this doesn't work, it shows them it works. It works. And the church's purpose, we exist, as it says, for that. But look, look back with me. This morning I want us to look just at two verses that sometimes we read over and we don't think a lot about. Look at verse 22 of Ephesians chapter 1. And God placed all things under his feet. Talking about Christ. And appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. Paul writes, and let me read it to you one more time. And God placed all things under his feet, under the feet of Christ, and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church. Christ is the head over everything, which is his body. We are his body, and it's the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. We, when we meet here on a Sunday morning... When they meet over at LCBC, when they meet over at Hershey E. Free, when we, these churches meet around the world, we meet for the purpose to show the fullness of God. That's why we meet. We meet to show the fullness and the power of God. It's not about who stands up here in the pulpit and preaches. It's not about what we sing. It's about the fullness and the power of God. That's why his church meets. He who is the head over all things and gives the universe its full purpose also fills the church that gathers in his name. Listen, the eternal, universal, conforming power is that God presents to the world is the church. It's the church. When you think about it, for over 2,000 years, there have been nations, there have been rulers, and those nations have come and gone, but there's been one thing that stands, and that's the church of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, it'll be here much longer if he tarries than any of us who sit here today. We're foolish to think that the church is not more important than we are as individuals. This is God's church that he loved, that he died for. Christ has chosen the church to reveal his power to the world. So what does it mean for us? First of all, just a couple of things. It means no mavericks. It means we need each other. We are the body of Christ. And I've said it before, I'll say it again at the beginning of this new year. There's nobody that sits here in this room today that's any more important than anyone else in this church. We are all part of the body of Christ. Maybe there's hands and maybe there's feet and maybe there's eyes, but we're all part of the body of Christ. And, And what does the body say, or what does it say in 1 Corinthians? Those who compare themselves among themselves are what? Foolish. Don't compare yourself to the person sitting next to you or the person across the aisle or the ladies who sang up here or those who did the instruments or the men. Listen, if you're here today, you're an important part of the church. We need you. We We need every one of you. You say, well, pastor, but you don't understand. I'm older now. Yeah, but listen, even though you're older, we need you. We need you even as the Bible says what? Let the older women teach the younger women. It says let those, let the hoary-headed men, those gray-haired men, or those men who maybe don't have much gray hair or no hair at all. We need you. We need you as leaders. It's sad when we come to men in their 60s and 70s and they'll say, no, I don't want to be a leader. We need you. We need you. And yeah, maybe we don't agree. We'll never agree with everything. Pastor John and I don't agree with everything. With each other. We're never going to agree. But we need each other. The church, we need each other. We can't have mavericks. And then we can't have deserters. The church is Christ's bride. It's quite easy when we look at the church. Sometimes it's intolerant. It's stubborn, it's tradition-bound, we're blind to our duty, Uh, we, we don't do things very well sometimes. Sometimes we're just an ugly bride. Hey, on Christmas Eve, I talked about ugly babies. 
So this morning, I want to talk to you about ugly brides. Have you ever seen an ugly bride? Come on. Now, I hope if you're shaking your head, you're not talking about your wife. Okay? Because that, you know, I mean, one of the things to me, one of the hardest things about the ministry to me is I really don't know. I don't know if I've ever seen an ugly bride. Because for me, when I'm marrying, you know, I cry easy anyway. And so, you know, the guy walks down, and then all of a sudden, the music starts, and there she is. She's beautiful. She's beautiful, isn't she? But I want to tell you about Christ's bride, the church. Sometimes we're just ugly. Sometimes we fight among ourselves. Sometimes we say things we shouldn't say about each other. Sometimes we don't treat each other right. And I'm sure Christ is in heaven thinking, oh, that's my bride. We pick apart other churches because they do things differently than we do. And listen to me, we all are the bride of Christ. And he loves us. And as ugly as we might be, Christ thinks we're beautiful. Not only that, no despair. The corporate destiny of the church means, too, that there should be no despair. For all of our weaknesses as a church, even us individually, including you know, the criticisms of our, of our own people sometimes, our failures as leaders. Listen, even your leadership, I'll stand here and tell you, sometimes as your leaders, we fail miserably. If you're looking for perfection in your leaders, you've come to the wrong place. If you're looking for me to be perfect, I'm going to tell you, I fail you. I fail you. Do I, and I'm sorry I fail you. It breaks my heart that I fail you. But I will fail you. For all of that, Christ still fills his church with his glory. And despite our setbacks, our losses, sometimes it seems like the church has been stopped and it's dead. Listen, despite all of our weaknesses, there's no more powerful organization. There's no more place of hope in the world than the church. That's why, that's why on a Sunday morning, you ought to get up and say, wow, I get to go to church this morning. I get to gather with my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I get to worship together. I get to come to experience. I get to come and display. I get to come and be part of the power of God, the most powerful organization, if you would, that has ever existed, and I'm part of it. If you sit here this morning and you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, there is no surrender with the church. The Bible says the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell aren't going to prevail against it. She's the fullness of him who is the head over all things who power fills everything. Mount Calvary, God has called us to display his power throughout the world as part of his church. He wants us to display his power and his fullness and his glory to E-Town and to Camden County and to Pennsylvania and to the United States and to the world. That's why we exist. We don't exist to say, wow, look at us, look at our school, look what we've done. No, listen, we exist to show the glory of God. It's not about, wow, we have a great Upward program, or we have a great Awana program, or we have a great this. No, we exist to display the power of God. The sad thing is this, is sometimes we get our eyes off of Jesus and we get our eyes off of ourselves. We get our eyes off of the cornerstone and put them on ourselves. If anything good happens here, it's because of Jesus Christ. I love 1 Corinthians 1.27. It says, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God's working through us to display his power. And the fullness that it talks about in this verse really is foolishness. But God has chosen you and me to display that through his church. Listen, I'm not foolish enough to stand up here and think that we're ever going to agree on everything. 
I know there's some of you that don't like our music. I know that. I know that there's some of you that maybe don't like that we don't wear suits anymore. I have 75 ties that hang behind my door in my... I can't tell you the last time I've wore one, except for funerals. But that doesn't make me any less spiritual. It doesn't make me any more spiritual. And, and, and there's all kinds of things that we can disagree with. You know, you know some don't like... You know, and, and I appreciate the question about prayer, man. I, I think prayer is the lifeline of the church. And, but I think our life groups were, were, you know, where we have opportunities to pray and, and, and pray deeply, I think that's important too. And, you know, we, we, we're not going to agree on all the doctrines. Some of us, you know, some of us are mid-trib. Some of us are post-trib. Some of us aren't even sure what the trib is. We're not going to agree. We're not. It's just the reality. You know, we talked about the five points of Calvinism. You know, some will say, listen, I'm a three-pointer. Some will say I'm a four-pointer. You know, there's some that are four-and-a-half-pointers. Really? Get on the college campuses if you really want to debate that one. Go to the seminaries. They're still debating Calvinism. And then some of you may sit here and say, but I'm not a Calvinist at all. I'm, I'm an Arminian, totally Arminianist. And, and then some of you are saying, I don't even know what those words mean. I'm not foolish enough to think that, listen, that some of you don't sit here and prefer one preacher over another. Some of you are really glad when we guess, get guest speakers in. Man, when are they going to get another guest speaker and get rid of these guys? I know that. And there are so many different preferences that sit here this morning. Some of you, you know, you prefer one radio station over another radio station. But there's one thing that we've got to agree on. It's what this verse says. It's what we're really here for. We exist as a local church, as part of the body of Christ, for what it says here in Ephesians. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. He is the one who wants to fill this universe with his power, with his glory, and he has chosen the church to do that. That's his vehicle for this time that he's chosen. And here's the exciting news. We get to be part of it. As ugly as we are sometimes, as broken as we are sometimes, as mistakes as we make sometimes, we represent the fullness and the power of Jesus Christ. And what a privilege it is. And you know what? If we weren't Lancaster County right now, we'd be saying, Woo! Amen! Glory! Praise God! I'm the church! I'm the church triumphant. There's things that will die, but the thing that I'm part of, the church, is never going to die. And I have the privilege to be part of it. As imperfect and as ugly as the bride is, I'm part of the bride of Christ. And that ought to, that ought to send you out of here today high. Not on drugs, but high on Jesus Christ. Because we are the church triumphant. Let me read the words of that as we close this morning and as our music team comes. You guys come as I, as I read this. Are we going to sing? Good. We should sing. Let me read this to you. God, this was written in 1973 by Bill Gaither. And you know if Bill Gaither wrote it, it's right next to the Bible. Listen to these. I love, I love this song. God has always had a people. Many a foolish conqueror has made the mistake of thinking that because he forced the church of Jesus Christ out of sight, he has stilled its voice and snuffed it out, its life. But God has always had a people. 
The powerful current of a rushing river is not diminished because it's forced to flow underground. The purest water is the stream that burst crystal clear into the sunlight after it has forced its way through the solid rock. There have been charlatans who, like Simon the Magician, sought to barter on an open market the power which cannot be bought or sold. But God has always had a people, men who could not be bought, and women who were beyond purchase. God has always had a people. There have been times of affluence and prosperity when the church message has been nearly diluted into oblivion by those who sought to make it socially attractive, neatly organized, and financially profitable. But God has always had a people. It's been gold-plated, draped in purple, encrusted with jewels. It's been misrepresented, ridiculed, lauded, and scorned. But God has always had a people. Those followers of Jesus Christ have been, according to the whim of times, elevated as sacred leaders and martyred as heretics. Yet through all their marches on that powerful army of the meek, God's chosen people who cannot be bought, flattered, murdered, or stilled. On through the ages they march, the church, God's church triumphant is alive, is alive, my friend, alive and well. Let the church be the church. Let the people rejoice, for we've settled the question and we've made our choice. Let this anthem ring out, songs of victory swell, for the church triumphant is alive and well. God's church is alive and well today. It's alive. It's on the move. And we can celebrate that, Mount Calvary Church. And the great news, we're part of it. Let's stand and praise God. The church triumphant is alive and well. Isn't salvation great? Isn't it great that he washed us as white as snow, not because of anything we've done at all, but because he chose us before the foundation of this world and he loved us and redeemed us and saved us. Extravagant grace he's placed upon us and he calls us his bride, his church. And he wants to express his power and his fullness through us. Have a great week serving our great Savior. Thank you.